So I want to ask you all when, when looking at this, and you notice uh, Julie was asking me because Julie changed the marquee this week. She goes, you said joy to the world with a question mark? <laughs> and I was putting a question mark on there because of what's pictured and for many a reality that may not be what's pictured. What I mean by that is this. When we look at this time of year, it's typically labeled the most wonderful time of the year, and we sing songs along those lines. And, and with this era of or season of holidays where you give candies or you say thanksgivings, I don't know if you guys have your traditions. In, in our family growing up, we'd always have a list of things that we're thankful for, and we'd always have to give it to mom um, as we start our day on, on Thanksgiving Day. But just this type of season is always a wonderful merriment, if you will, for kids growing up and for many families. And it should be. I mean, that's just one of those traditions that we have. Uh, things that have taken place over, over many, many years and the traditions that go on beyond this country, we see. We have families that are making vacations that over the course of the year, they've not been able to see each other. And they'll fly all over the country, if not all over the world, to take time to be with family. You know, parents taking off um, of their work schedule, if they're able to, to do this. It's an important time of year. And with that said, if I were to take a poll right now and ask you, how joyful is this time of year? Some of you say, well, honestly, it's not. For some, this time of year is painful. And the thing about this pain is we mask it because we're supposed to look happy. Right? You're supposed to look happy because when you see each other, you greet each other. I see families visiting already this time of year. And yet, we've lost loved ones. Maybe at this time of year. Or loved ones are sick right now. Or have lost a job. Whatever the situation is, it's a time that's just very painful for many. For some, it's loneliness. Because we've lost a spouse or a child or a parent or a sibling or a best friend. And this time of year is not as joyful as we want because we feel lonely. There are some families that, for the life of me, you know, it's like when the word vacation is supposed to be a time of relaxation. And typically, vacations today are so filled with an itinerary, it's nothing but stress in the name of fun. And sometimes, this time of year, that's supposed to be a joyful time, if you will, is full of anxiety because all you have to do is the itinerary of, here's what I got to do to get ready for family to come over. And the house has got to be just perfect, the food's got to be just perfect and everything. And we put on stress beyond what we're able to bear and it's no longer as joyful for some we're in depression whether it's the blues or clinical depression this time of year brings that out it is statistically known you just do the research this time of year is is one of the most um prevalent moments seasonally of depression and as we talk about the stress could be just life or societal events going on and so you're wondering then, 
if this is supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year, why is it that there's a lot of this stress going on or times that it doesn't feel like what it was when we were growing up? None feel the same. And even more specifically, when we look at Christians, us, those who have been purchased by the blood of Christ, to hear the stress or the negativity with regard to this time of year, why is that? Because all you have to do is look to social media and you get to hear complaints. You get to hear stress. You get to hear the unloading of, hey, this is what's going on right now. And some on their Facebook posts and stuff, because I mean, social media, if nothing else, has told us what's in our hearts verbally. That's what we hear where whatever we share or whatever we say really lends to where we're at, what we're thinking, what's in our heart. And what I hear on Facebook posts or read on Facebook posts or on videos and what have you are, we got our freedoms eroding in this country. And so we wonder what does that mean for us as the children of God in coming together and the things that are going on. We, we see growing persecution against Christianity worldwide and in this country i mean specifically in this country it's growing now more and more the evidence is is pretty clear and no telling you know what does the future hold and so we have anxiety for some christians you know what does that mean for us and as well like never before in as far as modern history in this country we see immorality in a rampant level in fact if you turn to first peter chapter 4 we're going to see what we think is such rampant immorality and i've said this many many times so it's not shocking for some of you to hear this but it is my strong strong opinion that it's it's just what it's always been from a historical standpoint this rampant immorality has always been rampant immorality it's just that we've had a brief respite in history from, um, from a standpoint of what we see in this country. But look at what's being said here and see if this is not true the first century as it is in the 21st century. Picking up in verse 1 of 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter writes and says, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. I'm going to tell you something. First, from a commentary biblical standpoint, because this passage is often used with regard to um, the whole subject matter of intoxicating drink and what have you. What Peter is saying is, this is a flood of dissipation, not a level of immorality. This is all immoral, gross immorality. That's what he's saying there. And he gives illustration after illustration of gross immorality, of different, different kinds of immorality. He's saying, in our past lifetime, for those who are coming out of this world and brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ, this was the lifestyle. 
And today, more and more, I hear things along these lines. That's just what's going on. So much so, I see it affecting the Lord's church. So that even within the Lord's church, immorality gets worse. Where sexual morality somehow is even expected among the saints of God? Some of you are wondering, what? Yes. But this is not who we are. Our lives are very different than the world or should be very different. But when we look at these things for many Christians, they're wondering like, why? What's happening to this world where even the body of Christ, we see the erosion of Christianity even among saints? So how can there be joy? That's the question, right? Well, I want to tell you how. This last slide that we're looking at has three major points, and within it, the gospel. And it is so extremely important for you as brothers and sisters in Christ to remember. And for you, those of you who have not yet put on Christ, to know. That psalm that was just read by Ben, I'm going to reread. And when we get done with it, I want you to see the perspective in which the psalmist wrote it. That's, by the way, the, the um, song by which joy to the world comes from, right? From Psalm 98. I want us to read this text. I'm going, well, I'm going to get to it in just a minute. Um, but I want you to know why we can have this joy. And it's not just, by the way, this joy to the world thinking of Christmas. It's just that because of this time of year, I thought it very appropriate um, to have this. This is something for every day of the year. We're not limited by a season, but by a Savior. And instead of being limited, we have a freedom that is found in Jesus Christ. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that freedom that we're talking about, where we, we put off this man of immorality, and we put on a man of immortality. We put off this man of sin and put on righteousness. And we are clothed then in a manner that should be fitting for saints. Look at what's being said here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in verses 55 following. I'm going to back up to verse 50 to get the big picture here. He says, now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, this prophecy goes on to say, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
that's really what we have. We have something that has already been won. It's a victory. Notice the perspective, because this is going back as well to what we would have uh, read, not only in Isaiah, but also in the Psalms with regard to this victory. So go to Psalm 98. We're going to reread Psalm 98, and I want you to get it with the perspective that the psalmist wrote. See if any of you pick up on it. This psalm is prophetic. This psalm is looking naturally into the future and really sink in these words into your heart. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained him the victory. The Lord has made known his salvation, his righteousness he has revealed in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his mercy and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our Lord. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth in, sound, in song, rejoice and sing praises. Sing to the Lord with the harp. With the harp and the sound of a psalm, with trumpets and the sound of a horn, shout joyfully before the Lord, the King. Let the sea roar in all its fullness, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills be joyfully together before the Lord. For he is coming to judge the earth with righteousness. He shall judge the world and the people's with equity. Did you pick up on the first part of this psalm? It was a done deal. Victory is spoken of nearly 1,000 years later as already done, as if in the past. It is almost as if you might say, and I'm going to... From a worldly standpoint, you say when someone declares victory before the game even starts, that's called arrogance, right? <laughs> With God, it's just simply truth. He won the victory before creating the heavens and the earth. It was just a matter of letting time take its course. Because that's our God. That's who it is that we are coming to worship and sing the songs that we're singing this morning. The one who's planned it all out and knowing that with his mighty arm, every word that he said was going to come to pass will come to pass as if it had already passed. It's just a matter of watching it come to pass. God celebrated his victory long before it actually happened because he's God. What does that mean for us? I want you to stop and consider all the things that we talked about earlier, which is just a brief sampling of what goes on in, in society. Today, I mean, if you were to put on from left-wing news to right-wing news, take it as far left and as far right as you go, look at what makes the major headlines. The first three, five, or ten, depending on the bullets that they have, of what makes the headlines. And I'll tell you, you want to think that there's no hope in this world, right? And by the way, in this world, of this world, there is no hope. But joy was brought to this world when God sent his only begotten son. 
and you go from a moment of dark bleakness, right? When you read the gospel accounts, after Jesus had hung on the cross and had been dark for hours, until that morning when Jesus rose from the dead, and he comes up out of that grave, and we see just great news being shared from then forward. That's the picture that is given where we can see from the flesh something that would bring us a picture that there's no hope. It's gloom and doom to one of great hope, one of victory that is found in Jesus Christ. And that's what we read of in the scriptures. That's what was being prophesied in Psalm 98 when our Savior would come into this world. It's a beautiful picture. But here's where it where the rubber meets the road for you and me. You see, because Christ won the victory, we have salvation, right? And we have this word of salvation that is brought forward to us and so that the gospel is proclaimed. It's the reason why we can have hope in our lives to, get, to go on and saying, no matter what happens in this life, just like Jesus, who hung on the cross, he was raised from the dead. And the promise was made that not only would that happen for him, it is promised to us. So all the news that is bad news becomes insignificant relative to salvation. You think about it. We as parents have a natural tendency to worry about our children and what's going to happen with them, right? Is it? I mean, I know I'm concerned about how Malia, Ali, Cart, and all the rest of our children are going to grow up and not have what we enjoyed in this country. I mean, if, if what is projected comes down the pipe in this nation and things don't change and we continue the course that we are, it looks bleak for our country. Thus, it looks bleak for my family. That's the way I look at things from a fleshly standpoint. Right? I would venture to say many of you parents are not in your head, if not out loud or shaking your head like this, you're thinking it in your heart. It just doesn't look good for our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren, right? But in Christ, the victory's won. We have everything. We are kings and queens. We are royalty. We are a holy and priestly nation that has already won a victory. And what we ought to have is such great joy in the midst of what looks like gloom and doom. It should be that the world would look at you and saying, how can you be happy? You're crazy. You have a smile on your face when things aren't going so well. You know, our national debt and just go down the line of all the things that make us feel depressed about what's going on. We hear about terrorism in this country and more, just more depression. And you come back with, yes, but Jesus has come. And he has already won the victory. Just as 1,000 years before Jesus came, God is declaring victory. 2,000 years after Jesus has come, the victory is ours. It's just a matter of, are we going to take hold of this victory and share it with the world? Because the world does not have this hope. But it's able to have it if we are going to share it. And that leads us to this last point. Joy is not ultimately achieved until 
we can see that our happiness is not through the feel good of today, like all these commercials that make us feel good, or all the Starbucks coffee in the world, or the pumpkin pies, or those, for females, chai lattes. <laughs> what makes us feel joyful is knowing that we have Jesus Christ. That's what does it. And the rest pales, relatively speaking. I mean, we still have to go through life. There's still going to be heartaches. There's still going to be um, periods or moments where we are lonely for whatever. Because that's just, we live in the flesh. But we're always going to be drawn back to the joy that is coming to this world in the name of Jesus Christ. And that's where your hope rests, brethren. And that's where your hope rests, my friend, if you have yet to put on Jesus Christ. He came so that you can have this kind of joy, that you can have this kind of hope that the world just cannot understand. For the world, it's upside-down thinking. It's foolishness. But for us, it's substance. And it's concrete because we've taken hold of the salvation found in Jesus Christ. So this song, you know, that was sung right now that we can sing all throughout the year, that some, for some reason we never do. <laughs> in fact, I, I'm, just a little side note. I know in some congregations, um, a song like we just sung at this time of year, that's just taboo. No, no, you don't do it because the world's going to think we're trying to promote something. Yeah, we are. We're trying to promote Jesus Christ. But let's not limit it to December. Joy to the world is 12 months out of the year. That's what we ought to be sharing with this whole world. And it should be, in fact, a very joyful message, good news message that we are giving because it's a message of hope. So I want to close with Hebrews chapter 12. I want you to read this with me. I want you to see just how great the God that we serve and remind ourselves where our focus is. Therefore, we also, after talking about those people of faith who are looking to Jesus, even if, they, even if he was kind of vague and far off into the future, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's victory, brethren. And the joy that he had, that's what he wants you to have. Now, I'm going to finish with this. In a few moments, we're going to sing the song of invitation. The invitation is for those who have yet to come to Christ to take advantage of this invitation, for you to come and have a relationship that is found only in him. And that's salvation. And that should bring you great joy should cause you to be like, I don't know, a 21-year-old wrestler who would take books and skip on a sidewalk. <laughs> That's the picture I had when I, when I obeyed the gospel. But you can have that joy. But when we get done with this service, 
A number of us are going to get together. We're going to enjoy spending time with one another. Brethren, I want you to remember there are brethren in this congregation right now that are struggling. This is not a period of joy. This is not a season of joy. Our desire is to build each other up in the faith and practically meaning we put our arms around each other, giving each other a hug, a note of encouragement, a word of encouragement. Sometimes just someone to lend an ear to get through moments that, you know, because of loss of loved ones or tragic moments of life, that this isn't as joyful a period of time and bring them some joy this way. And if you're one of those individuals that are struggling right now, count on your brothers and sisters in Christ that Jesus Christ has given to you in the body as a gift to encourage you kind of hard to encourage you if we don't know we we need to but if we can we'd love to so the invitation is for you to come to have a relationship with Jesus Christ to be buried with him and rise with him the way he rose from the dead that gives you hope for your promised salvation and for those who are already in Christ to be built up why not you take advantage of this right now together we stand and sing